0: Coming up on this episode of Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics, Penn State men's soccer head coach Jeff Cook, and a recruiting trip to Iceland.
1: So a quick sidebar, in in the winter, in February, I'm in an indoor facility in Reykjavik, Iceland, watching a college recruiting soccer showcase. And afterwards, they say, meet the coaches. Oh, Penn State, that's Saquon Barkley. (laughs) I'm like, in Reykjavik, Iceland, you guys know about the, the running back, former Penn State running back, and that's all they wanted to talk about.
0: Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics.
1: Now, from Happy Valley, here's your host, Brian Tripp.
0: And we welcome you into another episode of Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Brian Tripp with you once again and joined this time by Penn State men's soccer head coach, Jeff Cook. Coach, it's great to see you.
1: Great to see you. Thanks for the invitation. I look forward to talking with you.
0: Yeah, we're going to talk about soccer in general in the United States, mm-hmm. talk about your program, your second year as head coach here in Happy Valley, and what you want to achieve here during your time as the head coach of the Nittany Lions. Also, your background as a college soccer head coach at Cincinnati and at Dartmouth, and then and going on to work with the MLS's Philadelphia mm-hmm. Union and developing some youth in the pennsylvania area already here so let's first jump in i think this is kind of relevant and a good way to start this past summer the u.s women's national team winning another gold medal in the world cup and obviously Mm -hmm. i think there's some pressure now on the u.s men's national team not only to have success but just to get back into the world cup field so as soccer is kind of a buzz in the country with the success of the women's national team where do you feel like the state of soccer is as a whole and then the state of men's soccer in our country
1: i hope I can say that this is a really watershed moment for the, our sport, for mm-hmm. both women and men in the United States. Uh, I think the women garnered great and deserved visibility in winning the World Cup championship this year, uh, and Jill Ellis um, did a tremendous job with two of our former Penn Staters leading the way to to that victory. We had a, a fantastic community event this summer at, at Panzer at a watch party and. You know, I think the women would probably argue they've been doing really well for quite a long time, Mm -hmm. but it seems to have captured the national attention right now. And and you've seen a push. I've been following with interest, the attendances in the Women's Professional League, and there's been a big bounce in a lot of cities across the United States. I think you can attribute that to the success of the team uh, at the international level this summer. Um, so that's great to see for the women's game, and I, it's been a long time coming on the professional level for, uh, in terms of a regular week-in, week-out professional league, and ironically on the men's side, it's maybe been a bit of a reverse story, right, and the Major League Soccer has had a lot of success in terms of expansion, mm-hmm. some cities getting very large attendances, uh, Seattle, Atlanta, you know, Spring to Minor right off the top, yeah. and, and many others, mm-hmm. with a long history of, of success in terms of drawing fans and some exciting new franchises. At the same time, the last World Cup qualification for the men uh, resulted in a, a very negative outcome and we didn't qualify. Um, so that was a setback for U.S. soccer in, in some ways. But uh, there's an opportunity there to you know, reboot on the men's side to qualify for this next one. That's an important uh, challenge that's, that that team is going to face. Uh, I have a former Philadelphia Union colleague as part of that staff and BJ Callahan Who's trying to help you know push push the U.S. back into the international forefront, and you saw what a positive impact had right here in the state college community, but then, on you know into college soccer season, uh, and then in the professional ranks. So really momentous time in soccer history.
0: There's been growth. There's been development. Mm-hmm. Youth programs. You see the MLS, and so you mentioned the expansion. Atlanta, Minnesota has a team now. Yeah. Portland, Seattle have been really really successful over the years. So how does that then because The World Cup ultimately is the great measure of success for a country Mm -hmm. in terms of soccer. So how does that success and the participation rates, how does that then translate to success on that international level?
1: What's what's happened, you've seen more and more young American players playing professionally in the United States and major league soccer, but especially Mm -hmm. abroad Mm -hmm. and going into countries like Germany, some in England, a lot in the Scandinavian countries. Um, So there's a bigger pool. But what we haven't had is that um, Alex Morgan, superstar, and there's probably three or four others we could mention that made it such a huge impact on the women's success this past summer. Christian Pulisic, our mm-hmm. own uh, Pennsylvania native, is probably the brightest and most renowned young American star who just got purchased by Chelsea, and in fact, and is uh, going to have an opportunity to play in the in the biggest stage in, in Europe. Um, already had great success with Borussia Dortmund, of course, mm-hmm. and uh, he. So that needs to translate. Uh, in order for the US team to progress and really compete with the likes of France and Germany and Argentina and Brazil, it's a really tall order, I would, I would say. Uh, but the depth and the talent in this country, there's great opportunities for young players to step forward in the international spotlight. And I think that the college game has for a long time been a, a primary fueler of players that have played in that stage. And I, mm-hmm. I think that's still a very relevant pathway for the players that maybe don't get that huge contract at 18 and and can still have three, four years of really um, important development in the NCAA uh, collegiate scene and still contribute. So it's it's a mix of very different environment, and it's a transition now that I think is um, still maturing. And it would be interesting to see the next couple of years how that evolves.
0: Because I'm sure with U.S. soccer, it would be great to have every player be a homegrown talent and stay in the United States, either go the college route or – sign a contract with an MLS club. The fact is, if, if there's a talent right now with the money that's available in the international game and going overseas to play mm-hmm. in Europe and play for Chelsea, that's something someone like Christian Pulisic just sure. can't turn down. Yeah.
1: And, and Major League Soccer clubs at this moment in time can't really compete financially mm-hmm. with the contracts that are on offer in, in the Bundesliga or a La Liga in Spain or or especially in England. You know, Premier league um, contracts are, are very wealthy. And I think that's something that doesn't get acknowledged really people forget that professional soccer is a professional sport and therefore it's a business right Mm. and uh, I I believe one of the reasons that I've been so excited to be back at Penn State uh, specifically but back in college soccer is yes we want to play at an elite level and we hope that there are players that come uh, through Penn State and eventually realize professional careers and maybe some of them will pull on a, a, a jersey in a senior international game in the future but there's opportunities here to have a excellence in all aspects. And there's some really bright guys in Major League Soccer, but it ultimately the interest of a professional team is to acquire a player at the lowest possible cost mm-hmm. and sell him at the highest possible cost. You know, I'm no Wall Street expert, but I think that's basically <laughs> what the owners are into with franchise values. And I think that gets lost in the conversation mm-hmm. sometimes. That's the reality of it. It's a very cutthroat environment. Mm-hmm. And in, in the United States, we're just starting to see these issues about player compensation and homegrown right? so that, you know, when I was with Philadelphia, we had a number of players on the youth level who the club invested in, in terms of mm-hmm. coaching, resources, sometimes schooling and housing, and those players had the opportunity, if they had um, passports that allowed them to work overseas, they could literally walk out the door for zero compensation and just go to Portugal or go to Germany or go to France, and the club basically had no return on investment. So it's a it's a unique kind of set of circumstances right now in youth development on the men's side.
0: Are you teaching an economics class at Penn State while coaching? Well, I'm or? a proud
1: uh, economics major. I was an undergraduate, but I, that's a long, long time ago. So <laughs> we'll stick to what happens on the field, but that's just an com- extra bonus commentary.
0: What was it like, and I know this is kind of just an ancillary thing and something for fun, but Christian Pulisic did say... If- He had to go to college. He wouldn't (laughs) choose Penn State. I mean, that's not bad publicity for Penn State.
1: Absolutely not. And he said he's got a lot of friends here. And certainly, uh, you know, he grew up, uh, ironically, playing for the PA Classics. was one Mm -hmm. of his original clubs um, as a youth player. And my first game that I coached for the Philadelphia Union was in a friendly Mm -hmm. Chelsea. uh, Ironically, Chelsea had an under-21 team on tour. And we were asked to put a team together. And Christian had actually played for the Philadelphia Union prior to my arrival in like an all-star select team Mm -hmm. that traveled. And he was away with the national team and couldn't play in the game. But uh, we invited him. And I think at that point he was maybe 15 or 16 years old. So we'd certainly love love it if he had a bit of eligibility and come roll out on Jeffrey Field this season. Uh, But we wish him the best. He's a great representative of Pennsylvania and, and of United States soccer.
0: During your time with the Philadelphia Union and working with Bethlehem Steel FC, the U19 team, and growing the youth development program there, what did you see with the youth playing soccer in America today that leads you to optimism for the future?
1: Some great experiences of just seeing how quickly it it grew. Mm -hmm. And the owner, one of the owners of the Philadelphia Union, was his name is Richie Graham, and he is. His vision for the, his involvement was to help the United States one day world, win a World Cup. Mm-hmm. So he was in, incredibly passionate about his vision that he wasn't just trying to win a Major League Soccer championship or develop the next great player for the Philadelphia Union. He was convinced that the work he was doing, the commitment he was making financially, along with the other ownership, owners of the union, was going to make an impact on U.S. soccer generally. One of the great experiences I had was coaching in the Generation Adidas Cup Major League Soccer, ran with teams from across Major League Soccer, but also in my time there, we coached against Ethelgo um, Bilbao from Spain, the Aspire Academy from Qatar, Eintracht Frankfurt, um, many other international teams at the youth level. And, and what we saw over time is the more confident the American players became that they could stand up to a team from Brazil or from Argentina, the more they began to believe in themselves, and it gave me a greater sense of optimism about the the strength of the U.S. player. And while you know U.S. soccer can't boast the international uh, recognition and achievements, maybe of say Spain, for example, mm-hmm. among many or Brazil, I believe the future. In the future, we can compete very successfully at that level, and there, I have a deep belief in the American player. Not that we won't have other players here over time from different countries, but there's a great future for American players in soccer.
0: You had a lot of success at Cincinnati and Dartmouth. So why leave the college game and work for the Philadelphia Union? Then what drew you back to the college game at Penn State? Yeah.
1: Opportunities come at times you don't really expect them often in coaching. Uh, and we're getting a little too used to moving. And by the way, I'm hoping for a long stay here in Happy Valley. <laughs> so, uh, but I and I and And I'm really encouraged by the direction of what we're doing here. But to answer your question, when I was – I'd been 12 years at Dartmouth, and I'd been 17 or 18 years as a head coach in Division One at that point. And when I went to visit the union, when I was invited down to look at what they were doing, I, I was convinced by that opportunity to make a difference in the growth of soccer in the United States, to do something special. The ownership there were really committed as well to the educational uh, development of the young players as well. So it wasn't just, you know, we're gonna have these 30 players and we're gonna soccer, 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 and if they don't make it, those 25 that don't make them throw them to the scrap heap and the five that do great. We've done really well. Mm-hmm. So there was a, a real, uh, fantastic balance there. And I thought it was something that was unique and it was an opportunity to build something that was starting from scratch. So I had, I was involved with the first ever you know, union Academy teams mm-hmm. on a full-time basis anyway. And then having been there for five and a half years and, um, the opportunity here at Penn state and to come up and have, you know, I was lucky enough to be able to come to campus. And I'd been here actually scouting a number of times for Major League Soc- for the Union and, and MLS. Um, but I thought, what a great way to partner maybe what I had done in the Ivy League to what I'd done at you know, Elite Youth Development and to take it to the next level in the Big Ten and, and have an opportunity to build a championship caliber team. At, in my opinion, the best university in the United States.
0: And part of that, I think, also, and correct me if I'm wrong, comes from your commitment and belief that college soccer in the United States can be a great foundation or an area of growth to develop players yeah. that will have a lot of success professionally and with a national team.
1: Yeah, I hope we have a long time to talk about this because this is an area of particular passion of mine that I, I believe one of the things that people in the game get wrong across U.S. soccer, Major League Soccer, or clubs, is uh, there's, in the way I describe it, is kind of a search for this holy grail that if we just run these practices, mm-hmm. then we're gonna produce 10 Christian politics, to use him as an example again, or this is the pathway that's gonna guarantee a professional career, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. When the, if you look at it statistically and you do research about elite youth sports development, in fact, a very limited number of elite performers at senior level actually start from day one of their youth career at say nine, 10 years old, go into an elite academy and make all the way up that, tr- that pathway The reality of it, it's filled with bumps and left and right turns and detours and disappointments and achievements. So I believe college soccer has an important role for those kids who aren't clearly gonna hit the heights at 17, 18 years old, but are still very talented with a lot of potential and have an opportunity to to play at a high level, develop physically, develop emotionally, to achieve academically, and at maybe 21, 22, 23 when they come out on the other side their career is still there in front of them for those that are good enough. So I think, in my opinion, over my years, I don't think there's one prescribed pathway that's going to work for every single person Mm -hmm. in men's or women's soccer. But that people who can keep their determination at a very high level, who can accept disappointment, who have an extreme uh, belief in themselves, can make make the dreams come true with with persistence and hard
0: work. Look, what works in England or Mm. Spain – portugal brazil the united states has to think outside the box for some of these reasons and this isn't just going back to the college soccer thing but there's no question the premier league is the elite most popular professional sports league in the entire world well in the united states with football and Mm -hmm. basketball and baseball it's identifying certain players and saying you know what this guy if he plays soccer making sure some of the best athletes are Mm -hmm. participating in that certain sport sure
1: Sure, and and I I think culturally as well, a college degree Mm -hmm. in the United States is part of who we are. Mm -hmm. It's maybe not as common of a, a, or a clear, you go to high school, you go to four-year college, and then you get your job, and I think getting a college degree in the United States and what that represents for the rest of your life is a really critical component of our culture, and I've never lived in France, I've never lived in Argentina, Um, spent a lot of time in Scotland, but never actually lived there full-time. And I don't think it's as, as big a part of the culture. And I think we have to embrace the strengths. If you look at college soccer across the country, the number of incredible facilities and talented coaches and, mm-hmm. you know, performance coaches and an opportunity to develop and enhance things, I think we have to work in collaboration and partnership to achieve the ultimate goal of them, you know, to uh, follow the path of the women's team in winning a, a World Cup championship.
0: And when you look at college sports in general, thanks to whether it's the Big Ten Network, ACC Mm -hmm. Network, ESPN, National Televised Games, there's a lot of money in college sports. So some of these student athletes, whether it's Penn State where they have such great facilities and resources or any other school that's a a Power 5 school, there are great resources available to help train them and develop them to be as great as they can be.
1: Yeah, I was on the phone um, this week with a colleague from Notre Dame, and we were talking about the – you kind of bring up the point of the – playing games that matter mm-hmm. in front of crowds, in front of TV, thanks to places like the Big Ten Network and other networks that, that are doing a, a increasingly better job of getting Olympic sports visibility, mm-hmm. uh, which in having that pressure is harkens back to when I got involved in my last two or two and a half years with the Bethlehem Steel, and I was sort of the, the guy in charge of the homegrown pathway. So I did the homegrown reports to Major League Soccer. I was involved very deeply very significantly in the conversations about which players moved up the ladder towards the USL and ultimately to the first team. And with the big difference from academy soccer or youth soccer was you know, in, in the youth you're really focused on the skill and development. So it wasn't so much what was the score of the U16 game, right? It was mm-hmm. how did they play? Who did well? Are the skill sets developing? Is this player looking like he has a required athletic attributes and decision making capabilities to, to uh, progress within the club? And then suddenly you're thrown into the deep end of a USL game that's for points, it's for money, it's for contracts, and it counts. And some young players crumble under that pressure. Some thrive and they progress. And we can do that at our level. You know, If it's Penn State, at Maryland, and the Big Ten Network, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. With thousands of people in the stands, that's pressure. That's the opportunity to develop. And oh, by the way, tomorrow you get a midterm. So yeah. get your books out on the bus home, <laughs> right? So it's, it's that kind of handling your life um where some of the top guys that I've had a chance to work with at the first team level who have succeeded on over the long term have that kind of maturity and the education to back themselves up over over time.
0: I might be wrong about this but a lot of our fans listening say they're football fans, Penn State football mm-hmm. fans. Saquon Barkley he's going to play high school football, he's going to play college football, he's going to be a part of the team yep. and it's not like he can move up any faster. Sure he can leave after 3 years to go to right. the NFL draft, but then he's going to go to another team, the New York Giants. In soccer When you have young talent, how do you balance a team aspect, but you also have individuals who are competing with other players on their own team to move up to that next level? It's kind of like minor league baseball in a way, but still it's unique almost to soccer as a sport based on the culture and what we have and know here in the United States.
1: So a quick sidebar in in the winter, in February, Mm -hmm. I'm in an indoor facility in Reykjavik, Iceland, watching a college recruiting soccer showcase. And afterwards they say, meet the coaches. Oh, Penn State. Penn, that's Saquon Barkley, right? <laughs> I'm like in Play Iceland, you guys know about the the running back, former Penn State running back, and that's all they wanted to talk about. Like they didn't want to know about the library or how many majors we have. So it was great. Do you um, think
0: Saquon would have been a good soccer? Ball? I mean, look I at think, his, yes. his legs. Yes, we,
1: <laughs> we you do. We, you know, don't tell Coach Franklin, but we're we're watching the guys go to and from Lash Building to see who could be a big center back. Or, you know, <laughs> um, but no, I think Saquon probably could do a lot of things well on an athletic field. Um, but that was funny. So I, I think you're right. The pathway's there. And we used to say that, you know, teams de- don't make professional debuts, individuals do. Mm-hmm. But we had to have that. And it, it's related to the culture we're trying to develop here that it's team first, it's one team, the Penn State mm-hmm. mantra. Uh, that we're, we're, you know, this kind of the better the team can do, the more visibility we have. So we've talked about the need for everyone over the course of a regular season. You've got to put your individual desires, aspirations. I mean, everybody wants to be on you know, the front page of the, the website article and score the winning goal and be first team all Big Ten and all American. But the more we can put aside our individual aspirations, the better the team will do. And then in turn, the more visibility our individual players will have for draft consideration, U.S. national selections and things like that.
0: Take me back to last year and you get the job at Penn State. What are some of the first things as a coach you do when you inherit a program for the first time, regardless of if the program's been successful or not in the past? You still want to have your own fingerprints on it.
1: Yeah, we, we tried to lay a foundation for how we were going to go about things and the standards we were going to expect, and we didn't have a lot of control coming in late, mid to late January of 2018 in terms of the, what the roster composition was or who was coming in. Uh, from the recruiting class so we felt the biggest thing was the standards and to adopt a certain uh, playing style if you will a mentality within the group and win lose or draw we uh, we kept to that and i was really proud of our staff and our players that we just we never really said okay well that plan didn't work you know we lost in overtime at maryland who won the national Mm -hmm. championship gave them a great game but didn't you know come out on top but we didn't change our approach and i believe that that's going to pay dividends as we try over the next few years to to return this program to national prominence, to maintain our belief in what we're doing on a a daily basis and a weekly basis and so on.
0: So when you're looking at a potential job at Penn State, how appealing was it because of the resources, because of the facilities, because of what was in place that if I'm going to get back into college soccer, that's the type of place, that's the type of atmosphere with the standards across all 31 sports Mm -hmm. that that you want to be at?
1: Yeah, there's There's two answers to that question. One is that the 31 sports is big because the inspiration of looking across the athletic program and how much success there is in every, you know, nearly every sport, women and men and the individual level, there's incredible achievements. There's team success all over the place. And I find it really inspirational Mm -hmm. and I see no reason why we can't, you know, build on that uh, with our men's soccer program. Well, I'm sure a
0: great recruiting tool for you guys is to take student athletes to a a Football game, a whiteout game. Yeah,
1: football games. Uh, you know, all of our events, and I mm-hmm. spent a lot of time over the last year and a half. You know, I've been to I don't know dozens and dozens of different sports events, and really enjoy being part of that. And what hit me really about the the scope of the job was probably happened after it was I was announced as a new head coach of how much interest there is in Penn State sports. And mm-hmm. you're right to say that there may be many people listening today who are Penn State uh, football fans, or, mm-hmm. or women's volleyball fans, or wrestling fans, or, or whatever it might be, but I think we can develop the same sport culture. And when I took the job and realized the visibility and the number of messages and interests that, that you get as the head coach is, is really powerful. Uh, that people really care and they're, they're sometimes overinterested, yeah. <laughs> which can come with some challenges, but I think in the main, people are incredibly positive, passionate about Penn State, and really believe in this place.
0: Are there any messages that you kind of remember off the top of your head that, that stick out from when you got the job? Did you hear from anyone? You're like, wow, I'm, I'm kind of surprised they even they even notice what, what's going on here.
1: I think, I think there it was it was sort of a sad um, a coincidence of timing when I accepted the job and then late, I, I knew that Walter Barr, our mm-hmm. legendary Hall of Fame coach, was not well. And I, I'd spoken with uh, I've gotten to know Chris and Matt a little bit and met also Walter's other children, um, Casey and uh, and Davies, but it was clear that Walter wasn't doing great health-wise, um, which was sad for me that I didn't get a chance to really to engage with him while I was here, and he passed it. in the summer. We had a recognition, so the amount of people that came back and talked about the impact that he had had on their, mm-hmm. on their lives, you know, and that's players, former assistant coaches, people in the community, um, all sorts of stories and reminiscence, and I think you realize that, yes, you want to win as many games as you can, but the impact you have on people as the coach, as the leader of the program, is really what stands the test of time. And that's been really uh, a great message for me to think about. There's big shoes to fill. There's uh, a long line of coaches from Bill Jeffrey all the way through now, now to me, and a lot of talented people have, have sat in my chair. Uh, so it's, it's a really special job for me to hold.
0: So as you go from laying a foundation to start achieving success, mm-hmm. what are the things you're looking for in players, prospective student-athletes? What are you looking for within the program that you'll measure that improvements and the programs going in the direction you want it to?
1: The first thing we're talking a lot about is character Mm -hmm. and the the belief in why Penn State is right for them. And we've spent a lot of time in the last few months talking about on-campus visits for prospects. And we go out and we watch players so you can see their first touch. You can see whether or not they can strike a ball well. You can see a little bit about their running, their physical characteristics, how high they can jump, how fast they can run relative to the, the competition. Um, and so there's a baseline talent that you need of course but the ability to to assess if it's a good character fit for our program and college soccer it goes by in a flash it's a it's a sprint type of season and you need people that can I like to say you know you got to be able to take a tackle and get back up and go again and that that kind of quality is really important to us Uh, we want to always have our Penn State way of playing, and we want to make sure that we try to impose ourselves on the opposition. So we need people who have confidence and game intelligence and uh, can handle coaching and are committed to the ideals of a team. And those are the characteristics that we look for in our recruiting process, and especially when we get them on campus, get a chance to meet them, get a chance to meet their families. So the the visits are are very important for us.
0: What does it take to plan a visit what goes on of it what happens what is it just hey let's go to the creamery and grab some ice cream I, yeah. I mean what are you guys doing to get that's where we celebrate campus? commitments okay. so <laughs> you'll know
1: if Penn State men's soccer has a, landed a good prospect you'll see the entire staff at the creamery enjoying some ice cream that's where then it become a tradition for us um, well it's a lot of communication and people mm-hmm. always ask me uh, I get a question when I come back from a recruiting trip of how to go. I say, I don't know. You have to ask me in nine months because it's all the work that comes back. So you go back and you start to identify the players that you like. Then obviously there's a lot of communication with the coaches Mm -hmm. in soccer, men's soccer anyway. And I think the same would be true for Erica and her staff. It's really through the club environment as Mm -hmm. opposed to the high schools. Um, A lot of players are playing exclusively club as opposed to high school soccer now, which is uh, maybe another podcast topic in the future. Um, But that's the reality of what we do. So we go back and we... Contact the coaches, learn more about them, of course, academically. And and then there's a there's a chain of communication. And then we start talking about visit dates, plan the logistics. And we always try and get them here over a class day. Mm-hmm. So we want to see them, you know, sit in a classroom, travel the day in the life of a student athlete. So a lot of um, players could have the idea, oh, I'm going to come to Penn State. I get really nice Nike gear and, you know, the facilities are great. But, oh, by the way, in, if you come to summer school, the workouts start at 645 a.m four days a week. Are you ready for that? Um, so that's kind of, we, we try and give them a realistic picture of what it's going to be like. Uh, and once we get prospects to campus, I'm proud to say that our yield is pretty high after that.
0: Yeah, I would say so. What what resonated, do you think, with the 2019 class, the top 10, three top 100 guys? What do you think resonated with some of those guys?
1: I think there was an opportunity. And we try to be really honest. A, you, know, you can look at it, the RPI of the last four or five years in NCAA, NCAA Division One soccer. We've been fighting to get back up up the rpi table so Mm -hmm. to speak Uh, we had a little bit of a jump and we hope for a much bigger one but the opportunity and to be around an environment where you're going to be in rec hall or in the bryce jordan center or in east area or in Huluba with other aspiring world-class athletes world-class student athletes and we feel that we can provide an opportunity for people to stretch themselves and I think that's the message, that we are trying to push people to achieve things that they don't even know they're capable of. And when I look around my colleagues, that's what I see the, the quality and the coaches that I know around here, Erica and many, many others around uh, all the sports facilities, is that ability to inspire and motivate people. You, you get great raw material coming through the door. And I think the best coaches inspire that, that excellent raw material to achieve even more and for me, that's Penn State Athletics.
0: How do you think you're able to kind of inspire those guys? What What is it unique about your personality? Where do you think that you can hit home with some of these players during the four or five years at most that you have them?
1: I hope hope it's a, you try and be as authentic as you can be, and I can't come in here and be Kale Sanderson or Russ Rose or you know Jeff tembrone or Missy Doherty. I have to be myself, and I think there's a lot of Um, honest conversations that we have. So I don't think the players will ever leave a practice session or leave a meeting with me wondering where they stand. And that kind of honesty I I think is sometimes difficult to hear. We kind of joke with them, you know, be careful what you ask because we're going to tell you the truth or at least our opinion of the truth. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing that's a, that is more important than the particular or specific content of a practice session, like in terms, I'm talking about like what drill you do or what, what, what uh, how long you scrimmage on a given practice day is the environment you create. And I think players are smart, and they pick up on whether or not they're in an environment that's going to allow them to pursue their dreams. And those are the two things we focus on, you know, being authentic, creating the right environment, and surrounding myself and our team with the best staff that we can find.
0: A native of Springfield, Massachusetts, you graduate from Bates College, then assistant at UMass, head coach at Wheaton College, Dartmouth mm-hmm. assistant in there, Cincinnati head coach, Dartmouth head coach, that's that's kind of the path of, of a, a soccer coach, right, or a college <laughs> coach. So was this always the the career goal for you? When did you know? Was there something along the way that said, you know what, I want to get into to coaching college soccer?
1: I'm so lucky that I fell into it by accident. This was an opportunity um – I had played in state teams a long time ago and Mm -hmm. I was going to go to graduate school at UMass Amherst to continue my role in economics and thought, well, I'll just work in finance or something. And I didn't Mm -hmm. really have any great idea what that actually meant. It just sounded good. And I called my former coach and literally said, is there, you know, a youth team I could coach or a men's league to play in or what's going, you know, what's around UMass Amherst? And he said, "Uh, you know what, as a matter of fact, and this is 1991, Mm -hmm. as a matter of fact, our graduate assistant just left and it's $4,500 for the year are you interested? And I said, yes, I'm interested. And that's how I got started. And like put the the dreams of Wall Street to one side. And I'm delighted to say that, you know, all these years later, I'm, I'm still going. And to, you know, it was a dream to, once you get into it, to be at a place like Penn State, um, w- in my opinion, is the pinnacle.
0: When you were at Cincinnati, you were there at the same time as Bob Huggins, right? I was. Yes, I was. We probably could do a whole podcast on that too. We
1: could. And some tremendous, and you know, I was there during the Kenyon Martin mm-hmm. era. Um, Nick Van Exel was just before me, Danny Fortson. So there's some great basketball stories there. Cincinnati football was not what it is today in that era. Um, I left there in 2001 to become the head coach at Dartmouth. But it was a great place. I, I think Cincinnati has really done well recently athletically. Um, and it was a great opportunity for me to launch my Division One head coaching career.
0: What enabled you to have so much success? Seven NCAA tournament appearances, five Ivy League titles at Dartmouth. Well, what do you think enabled you to have that success there?
1: Good players. <laughs> <You
0: know? laughs> it always comes back to that, doesn't
1: it it, it? it does. And we I have to say, one thing that was really important to me was to use recruiting as a way to get top players to to attend Dartmouth or to be aware of Dartmouth that would ordinarily have no idea even some some people didn't even know what Dartmouth was is Mm -hmm. that division one where's that? Is that in the north pole where's Dartmouth and so for me it was can we get we one of our best players was from Zimbabwe we had three or four New Zealanders we had kids from California we had a couple great midfielders from Texas and Dartmouth does have a fantastic academic reputation Mm -hmm. but it's a school of 4,000 people it's very hard to get into academically and it doesn't have a national you know power five mm-hmm. athletic um, background. So it was that, that using, working really hard in recruiting to identify guys that were maybe just missing out on the, the power five recruiting uh, tracks to come in and make a big difference. And it was it was a lot of fun. And we we had a lot of success there with some, some great teams and some great guys that I'm still in touch with. And we hope uh, we can do similar things and even a bit better here.
0: It's funny you say that though, because we joke about you need great Talent, and that's first and foremost. But you need talent that that fits to it. Mm-hmm, everyone needs to fit at that certain spot.
1: Yeah, we had too many uh, biochemistry majors, I think, at one point to <laughs> to progress any further than the NCAA championship. But I'm I'm joking, of course. We had some guys that were just you know they were just overachievers, and they would they would strive for excellence. And and, and that when I came for my visit, that's one thing I talked a lot about with Sandy is that you know when you're when you're recruiting a student athlete to Penn State, it's not like you have to choose whether you're going to really be focused on academics or you're going to really strive for excellence in, in your sport whatever sport that is uh, you can do both and we for not for one second do we allow any kind of excuses that fit in oh well i was tired from practice so i i didn't get up and go to class like you know or i have a big midterm so i can't you know i can't be focused at practice you've got to be able to achieve both and and we love the the team we're building here and i think they're embracing that
0: concept well jeff it's been a pleasure hope to talk to you again after the season really appreciate the time
1: great spending time with you thanks for having me on
0: jeff cook penn state men's soccer head coach let's go state the official podcast of penn state athletics fans don't forget to hit that subscribe button also you can send your comments questions tell us what you'd like to hear tweet at go psu sports or at b trip tweets that wraps up another episode talk to you next time on let's go state the official podcast of penn state athletics let's go state the official podcast of penn state athletics